as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in the middle of your Bible to the prophet Jeremiah. We're going to begin there today, uh, Jeremiah 30. Um, this will also be in your bulletin. There's a, I'm colorblind, I think it's yellow, uh, some bright colored insert uh, with an outline. Um, there'll also be a place for you for some sermon notes on the front cover. And on the back of that outline, you'll find some of the scripture passages that I'll be reading from, especially important today, because um, they won't be on the screen, a little technical difficulty on my end. So uh, um, please follow along there as we look to God's word together. Are we not in some interesting, some may say exciting, some will say, many will say confusing political times in our country? You know, we're talking about delegates and superdelegates and basically answering the question or at least asking the question repeatedly on all stations, who will be our next president? A key issue of debate certainly is health care. I remember uh, turning on the TV uh, for one of the last Democratic debates, um, and health care was one of the first issues out of the blocks. Uh, who, who do we trust? Who do we listen to? Uh, who has the best plan for health care? Really, seemingly on many Americans' hearts are affordable health care for everybody. Everybody, every American, uh, we are told, uh, needs to have, deserves to have health care. And then some of the questions arise. Who's going to pay for it? Uh, who's got the best plan? Uh, how is this done? And uh, those running for office are saying, my plan's best because of this or that. But what would you think? What would you think about a uh, candidate that said this to us? I really have the best plan for health care. Better than universal health care, he's going to tell us the plan that he or she has is this. Universal health. Elect me, let me be your representative, and I will cure all your diseases. Forget all the expense of ta- uh, paying for health care. Forget all the expense of, of doctors and insurances. Elect me, and I will cure your diseases. What do you think? Typical politician, wouldn't you say? Promising a little bit more than they'll probably deliver. Sounds good. I mean, certainly something that we would all love to have. Can you imagine a candidate being that bold, basically saying, I'm your man. Hire me or elect me. And whatever you have, whatever your family has, I'll cure it. How about one that would be so bold to say, and any, by the way, sins you have? Any, anything that has some guilt to it? Any, any past record? Any of those skeletons in your closet? Those dark places in your soul? Those things that no one else, you want no one else to see or know about? All of your sins and foibles, I will forgive. Man, that'd be some president, wouldn't it? We look through scripture and interestingly, Basically, we're told about a coming king. And this coming king is what we long for. This coming king is who we need. This king is going to give us life and life abundantly. 
But this king that was promised, the king was promised early on in Scripture is one that, man, there's so much hyperbole about. I mean, is it really hyperbole? He's basically a king who says and who is written about this king. If I'm your king, I'm forgiven all your sins. If I'm your king, I'm healing all your diseases. I'm doing away with death. I'm doing away with pain. I'm doing away with suffering. I'm going to nail it to a cross. And if I'm your king, no more death reigning, no more suffering and sorrow, no more diseases. Look around. Are we still dealing with death? Look around. Still dealing with sorrow? Look around. What about disease? Yesterday was opening day for our new baseball field. And man, a glorious, beautiful day. A little windy. Beautiful field. But we inaugurated a new war award, uh, service award for one of our former elders, David Hammond. A selfless, godly man who gave his life serving the Lord, serving others. We prayed for him. We, replayed, we, we, we anointed with him oil, with oil. Many of us prayed for him. Jesus said he'd heal all our diseases, including cancer, including liver cancer. But we have to have an award remembering his life. I started off the service by reading Psalm 103. And Psalm 103 tells us of a king that's coming. And it says this, he's going to forgive all of our sins and heal all of our diseases. Were we bamboozled? Were we lied to? Just biblical hyperbole that we just got to swallow and get past somehow. And maybe the question we need to ask is this. It's a tough one. Does the Bible promise too much? I mean, does it promise too much for us? Does it get our hopes up? And, and maybe a question we wrestle with, certainly difficult to wrestle with, does, does Jesus deliver too little? King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who's come to fulfill the prophecy, the one who's come to set us free, the one who they said will come and heal all of our diseases, does Jesus deliver too little? We are told of a healing that is for each one of us today. I think the Bible clearly does have some answers. There's some things that aren't as clear that we're going to have to walk in faith with. But there is a healing for us today. And there's also a healing for us for tomorrow. Here's what we're going to do. Again, I, I pointed out earlier, uh, there'll be some ways to follow along. You want to take some notes uh, on the inside cover in the bulletin. There's a blank space there. Uh, you're going to get... Quite a bit of information here. Um, not only that, there'll be an outline to follow along, and on the back side, there'll be some uh, scripture references. But let me tell you this this is so much on my heart. I mean, I've got, I dug into this, and there's just so much. I said, God, we got to come back. And so after uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to come back to a theme of suffering, a God of suffering, a God of, of sorrows, a God of comfort, um, and look to see what this means even more. So we're not going to try to cover it all today. Good news. 
Um, but please, uh, let me uh, pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will really pique your interest and so that we can come back and look again. But as we begin, let us, let us pray together. And Father God, we ask that your Spirit would come with power today and speak through a broken sinner who desperately needs a Savior. And Father, we want to have, we, we really want to believe. We want to believe that you're good and you're God and that you sent a king to rescue us. We want to believe and thank you for the belief we have. We ask that now you'll help our unbelief. Because the truth is, life hurts. The truth is, there's still suffering and disease. The truth is, I I still sin all the time. So God, I pray that you do only that which you could do. Open up our ears to hear your voice. That you would illumine our minds to understand your word and what the promises really mean. Father, I pray that your spirit, the spirit of the living God, would come and remove the dead and stony parts of our hearts of unbelief and shine light and, and break to bits that which is cold and dead and give us life in our hearts. And Father, I pray for a spirit that would empower our feet, that we walk out of here knowing the truth, embracing the truth, and living out the truth for your glory. And God, that are said, the things that are said that are wrong or merely my opinion, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. The things that are true, the things that contain the good news of the gospel, the things that point to your son, use those things to make us more like Jesus. Because that's what we need. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. One of my best friends has uh, a 20-year-old son, an adopted son. Uh, This 20-year-old son has taught him more about God and theology than any class he's ever taken. Very bright man with a doctorate degree. But this 20-year-old son is autistic and has very special needs, 24-7 needs. And they do an incredible job meeting those needs. Recently, he told me a story about the fact that he was going on a a field trip. He was going on a field trip with other special needs children. Uh, He told me, he said, painfully, I take him to school every day and I watch him get out of my car and go over to the place where the other broken kids are. And I say to myself almost every day, does that really the place that my son needs to go? And he's reminded, yes, and he's thankful for a place that he can go to. But there was a particular Saturday where the uh, city of Altamont, um, hats off to them, uh, had a program for special needs children. If you've ever been around a special needs child, you know that, again, the care for those you love is exhausting. And to have an event, whether it be Special Olympics or something else, that will provide an afternoon for them, an outing for them, is a great blessing you're praying for the child, and usually a great blessing for the parent that has a few hours respite. Well, he goes and he drops his son off uh, to an activity, uh, came back, and the son said this to him. He said, how'd it go? I mean, how was your experience? He said, well, Dad... I think there's something wrong with some of those people. (laughs) 
It's amazing how we can live our lives saying, I think there's something wrong with some of those people. But when we look closely into our own lives, into our own hearts, into our own minds, into our own soul, when God's grace shines the light of His truth in there, each one of us should surely say, I'm some of those people. I'm some of those people that there's something wrong with. And it's so bad, it's so bad that my nature has been so defiled by this thing called sin that I need a king to come rescue me because I cannot do it on my own. We're going to start off with this. We're going to look at a promise of a king who will come. We are then going to look at a king who did come uh, to provide healing and then the longing for that king to return. We're going to start with Jeremiah 30, uh, reading in verses 9, then 12 through 17, being mindful that we're reading God's holy and errant word. Revelation, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 9. We're going to end in Revelation. Here comes a promise. I could have picked so many passages, but this is the one the Lord put on my heart. And this passage is speaking to the Lord's people in a specific context and time. They're in exile. Their sin has driven them from God's presence. we got to read this in understanding that this was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but to a particular instance, a particular people, that it's difficult for us just to take it and extrapolate it and put it into our own lives. But any truth for God's people for one child is good for the other. We've got to go and look at God's Word and see this promise of a coming king. It says this in uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 9. Instead, they will serve, God's people will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. This is long after King David was on the scene, but in the, in the line of a promise that God says, I'm going to send my people a king. And this king is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. This king is going to rule all the nations. This king is going to defeat all all of God's and our enemies. This king is even going to defeat death. Verse 12, it will show who we are apart from this king. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. Then even more pain, we hear what God has done. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because of your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But all who devour you will be devoured. Here's some turn right here. Here's some hope. And all your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. And look at this promise. Look at verse 17. Look, Look at verse 17. But I will restore you to health. And heal your wounds, declares the Lord. The first question I want to answer, and again, this is certainly not boring down to the bottom of this question. I don't have the ability to answer this fully, uh, nor do you. Um, and yet, at the same time, we've got to at least begin here. Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? 
why in the world is a question that we as human beings have been wrestling with since day one. And again, let me just point out a couple things. God created us in his image and we were beautiful. He created us for himself and we had a place called the Garden of Eden in paradise. God created us to walk with him and know him. God created us not to have pain and death and suffering. God created us to worship him, to know him, to love him, and to fill the earth with his glory, walking with him and sharing our life with him. But instead of loving him the way we were intended and worshiping him the way that he has designed for us to do, we rebelled. We wanted to be God. We wanted to throw off his rules and regulations and say, I want to live my life my own way. And but he was very clear that if we rebel from him, that we shall surely die. The soul that sinneth, Ezekiel the prophet says, will die. And he clearly tells us, even way back in Genesis, if we sin, death will be the consequence. Sin brings about death and suffering. We live in what theologians rightly call a fallen world. All of creation has been cursed because of our fall, because of our sin. We live in a very dangerous world. A world that's dangerous uh, in, in its creation and tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and wildfires. A place that is dangerous for our unborn children in the womb. A place that is dangerous for our kids who we hear being abducted. It's dangerous for our college students who are being shot. We live in a dangerous world. A dangerous world that's ripping apart families, that's destroying marriages, and that is taking the life of the ones we love, whether it be cancer or other diseases. And all of this danger, all of this suffering, all of this peril is a result of you and me as mankind rebelling against God and his plan. But there's a good news. God didn't leave us there. There's such good news. Listen, there's such good news. God could have said, I've had enough. I created them good in my image and right and holy. I've created them for myself. They've rebelled. They went their own way. To hell with them. Literally. But he didn't. He says, listen, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. He says, I'll enter into their suffering. The only God, the only God. No religion has an answer for suffering. Like Christianity. Christianity will say that our God, who allowed us to fall, and the subsequent falling and death and suffering, says, I'm going to love those who rebelled so much that I'm going to send my son, and he's not going to be exempt from his sufferings. He's going to be the man of sufferings. He's going to be the king of sorrow. He's going to be the one who bears all of their burdens. And he is going to be pierced for their transgressions. And the weight of our suffering and our sin is going to be placed upon him. So that we can be freed and healed and cured. We read Jeremiah and we read about a tit-for-tat God, it seems like. It says very clearly that God was the one that was inflicting pain. Kind of difficult to hear. But he says why? He says, because they had sinned and rebelled. And sometimes we want to say that our loved ones are suffering because somehow they deserve it. They've done something that deserves it. And I love this story in the Gospels when Jesus was walking along with his disciples and they came to a blind man. And here's an incredibly crazy question they asked Jesus. Jesus, why is this man blind? 
Is it because of his own sin or did it get passed on from the sin of his mom and dad? Can you imagine living with that stigma? Because they were basically saying that God's going to punish you for being a sinner. And you're going to suffer for being a sinner. Now listen, it's an interesting thing here. True, we're going to suffer because we are sinners. We brought this suffering on our upon ourselves. But we can't say that someone has cancer because of their own sin specifically. Or their parents' sin. Or they're blind or autistic. Jesus says neither. It's so I could show my glory and my power. We realize that we live in a fallen, suffering world. That sin brought this upon us. But there is hope. But if we think that Jesus is only going to bring suffering to those that sin, we got to look at the story. Look in the backside. There's a story there in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, about the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, in the light of time, I'm going to tell you this story. He has been shown by God some incredible revelations. God has revealed to him things that are unspeakable. God has blessed him with some knowledge and some the ability to gain access to his presence that is so incredible that, that he could be proudful and boast of what he has. But instead, look what it says. It says that this righteous man who had incredible visions, incredible closeness, this righteous man was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. To torment him. Okay, God. This is how you treat your friends. This is how you treat the one who's close to you. Why? So you won't be prideful? So he won't be boastful? This man, Paul's begging God. Come on here. Take away this thorn. I don't have time to discuss what it is. We don't know for sure. But he didn't. He didn't. Now listen, this is a righteous man. Yeah, he had a sinful life, that he, but he's been forgiven. A righteous man who's close to God. So we see this. Listen, those who desire to live a godly life, Scripture tells us, will be persecuted. So suffering is going to happen to the family of God as well as to the sinners. All of us. We know as family we're sinners too. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. He says, I want to know Christ. I mean, I want to really know Christ in a salvific, salvation way. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power. I want to know that power of the resurrection that would raise the dead to life. And I want to know fellowship with Jesus that shares in his sufferings. I don't know how we ever thought as Christians that it was okay for Jesus to suffer every moment of his earthly life. Uh, ministry go to a Roman cross and suffer like no man has ever suffered and prepare for us the way home through trial and tribulation that somehow we believe now that we're his that our road's going to be different it's going to include some suffering but Jesus did come here listen Jesus did come to cure that which is incurable What was that? It's our sinful nature. What was that? What was incurable? What did Jesus cure for us? He cured for us by becoming a sin on the cross. He secured for us. He cured for us the wrath the Father God has for sinners like us. He cured it. He cured for us. Listen, He cured for us. 
pardon of sin. It is finished. Those things in your closet and in mine, blackness still in our lives and our souls, it's been nailed to the cross. It's been nailed. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. He cured us. His blood has set us free. It really washed us. It really cleansed us. And we know the sacrifice worked. Why? Because the tomb was empty. The Father accepted it. We're cured. Those who by nature are children of wrath have been reborn by God's grace into the image of the Son. Those who are in darkness have been called into the light. We've been cured. Those who are far off, those who are not a people of God, have now been called a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. We've been cured, Christian. Our nature has been changed. We are new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. We now have the ability to love and reach and accept and embrace God as our Lord and Father. We've been cured. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. And for some of us, we've been cured of some incredible other things. Physical ailments, marriages, financial difficulty. Let me ask you this question. What has Jesus cured you from? You'll see that written down, a question written down. If you can answer the question, let me encourage you to write it down. What what has Jesus cured you from? And, And if you just sit there and think, if it's blank, then you don't know Jesus. He's cured me from the Father's wrath that's justifiable, from my black, sinful heart. He's cured me. He's cured me, a child of wrath. He's cured me. And yes, I'm still a sinner, and yes, I'm prone to wander, but I have a new creation in Christ. I'm His child. I've been cured. What has Jesus cured you from? Do you realize that There's still more to come. I mean, look around, family. Look around. We're hurting. Look around. He hasn't cured all of our diseases yet. Mark 5 tells an incredible story of a woman who bled for 12 years. She was a social outcast. It says that she spent everything she had on doctors to heal her. And she only grew worse. Until she touched Jesus. And she was set free. And Jesus said to her, your faith has healed you, now go in peace. I had a conversation recently with a woman who uh, was pretty much at the end of her rope. Her God of choice was drugs. Her day to buy it was the next day after I saw her. And she says, I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be set free. Can Jesus really heal me? Is he really enough? Is he really good enough? Is he really powerful enough? I said, yes, this one touch of this Jesus. You can be free. Life's hard, I know. Man, I have about three more hours to tell you, and I I don't have more time. 
but <laughs> one man and 800 people angry at that one man. <laughs> we got to close with some hope. And really, if you, if you look to Revelation 21, um, write down verses 1 through 7. It tells us that a time is coming. Listen, listen, listen. This is what you got to hear. King Jesus didn't promise more than he could deliver. He delivered. He delivered. He's delivered. And he has healed us from our greatest disease. It's a disease of sin. And for many of us, he's healed us from some amazing difficulties, from marriages that were falling apart, from financial difficulty, from diseases physically. But there's a day coming, my brothers and sisters, family. God, listen, there's a day coming. There's no more tears. There's no more disease. There's no more sickness. A day's coming. He's coming back. This king's coming back. And, there, and there's, there's no more sorrow when he comes. And we're talking eternity, okay? Eternity. But we're not there yet. We're not, we're not there yet. And until we are, we're going to have to lean into him and say, just carry me home sometimes. Carry me home. Because I know you've cured the ultimate disease of my sin. Give me faith as we make our way home. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for a king that's better than any politician's promises. They could promise universal health care. We have one that's given us universal health. Life and life eternally. Jesus, thank you for being the man of sorrows who would come and bear our weakness in his own flesh that would become our own sin so that we can become the children of God. Oh, what love the Father has lavished upon us. And in Christ Jesus, that is who we are. But Father, many of us here have been praying a long time to be relieved of things you haven't healed us from yet. Carry us home. Give us grace along the way. We know that blessed be your name. The only name where salvation is found. Come and heal us again today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand.